Hi there, and welcome to the C10 Podcast, where we mainly talk leadership and mentoring and 10 questions with change makers, mainly here in the Kansas City area. This is all part of the C in the Major Leagues Foundation and specifically a tie-in to our C10 Mentoring Leadership Program. I'm Matt Folks, Executive Director of C in the Major Leagues and usual host of this podcast. Let's get on to this week's conversation. This is episode 118, and I'm pleased to be joined by Mary Esselman, the President and CEO of Operation Breakthrough here in Kansas City. Mary has an interesting background in education before coming to Kansas City and Operation Breakthrough. Uh, if you're not familiar with Operation Breakthrough, which started in 1971, they provide a safe, loving, and educational environment for children in poverty and empower their families through advocacy, emergency aid, and education. We're incredibly fortunate that Mary and just the awesome folks at Operation Breakthrough allow our C10 Mentoring Leadership Program to use their space on a fairly regular basis during the school year. And it is just a, an awesome space. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But with that, it is my honor to introduce you to Mary Esselman. Welcome to the See You in the Major League Shed. Miss Mary, how are you doing this morning? I am doing great and I'm delighted to be um, chatting with you this morning. You know, it hit me, Mary, that you and I first met, I guess, through Jeff Chidea, who's involved in both Operation Breakthrough and Sea of the Major Leagues. I guess it was, what, maybe three or four years ago when you guys had Dayton Moore as a judge for one of Travis Kelsey's events. Yes, it was at the Celebrity Challenge. And I, rem I, I, I remember feeling so sorry for the two of you because... You know, the teams only had a few, a handful of songs to choose from. And everybody that night, I think, chose almost everyone chose the same song. And you guys had to listen to it over and <laughs> over. And I thought, whoa, what an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's all worked out. So we'll uh, we'll talk about that partnership and whatnot here in a little bit. But we do have a lot to talk about, even in, in 10 questions, but we like to start these with what we call pregame batting practice, just four quick questions to get to know you a little bit better. So here we go. Question number one, my hero growing up was? Oh, my hero growing up was? Oh, you'll think this is kind of funny. It was Mother Teresa, I think, in the early days. <laughs> huh. I, I was, uh, you know, I was very into service when I was young, so... Um, I was quite, I was uh, quite enamored, um, and you know, Catholic school. You can, you can picture it. Well, you know, you we when we first got on, you talked about the books behind me, and and this is mainly audio, so people won't see them. But one of them is a uh, Heart of Joy by uh, Mother oh Teresa. Oh my gosh! So well, you go. know, a fun fact: when I was um, a uh, junior at Georgetown, Mother Teresa was the commencement speaker. And uh, I was, you know, I used to help serve at mass. I didn't get to serve at that one, though, because she didn't believe in having women on the altar. So I, huh. I, get, I got to see her from the side. So that was my one kind of um, moment where he got to hear her direct. Oh, that's cool. Question number two, if I could have one superpower as a leader, it would be. Oh, that's really hard because you really want a lot of those. But if I had a superpower, um, it would be a change maker you know, a change maker for, for team members and, and children and families. And, you know, to, to make the road a little bit easier, mm -hmm. you know, I think we see a lot of change, but it's, it's hard fought change. And sometimes I wish that superpower could just make the change easier. Yeah. And question number three, my favorite thing about Kansas city is. Oh, you know, I'm a big Royals fan. <laughs> so I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to put them up, up front. Um, 
but big blue. So that's one of my favorite things is mm-hmm. uh, is uh, Royals. Okay. And I'm, I may know the answer to this based on what we've heard so far, but if I could meet one person in history, it would be. Well, I got to meet her from afar, but Mother Teresa would be a good one for me. Um, you know, just an incredible past and uh, impact. Very cool. Well, you cruise to those, Mary. So let's uh, let's get into our 10 questions here. Um, first off, let's just go back a couple of years. Tell me about 17-year-old Mary Esselman. 17-year-old Mary Esselman. I grew up in Minnesota, small town. Um, and uh, it's funny. I, you know, my my first job, which was probably a couple of years before that, I used to uh you know, my first job was walking the bean fields, pulling weeds. That's, you know, in small towns, that's where you start. Hmm. And then mowing, you know. So so those are some of those summer memories, probably not as as vivid as, you know, in the later years. But loved it. Um, I think I was shaped by the fact in a lot of times people in, in bigger cities want to live in small towns because they feel like you get to do everything and be on everything. And it's more, you know, selective in bigger cities. I remember my daughter and my niece always wanting to switch places, but I do think it gave me tons of opportunity to try lots of things, um, you know, which helps shapes who you are now. Well, and you, you mentioned Georgetown. I mean, how do you go from Minnesota to, to Georgetown? Well, that's kind of a funny story because we were in a small town. My dad had a rule that said the girls in our family had to go to school out of state. And I was so upset at the time um, because, you know, everybody else was going in state and he was like, you know what? He said, I want you to see a bit of the world. And he said, if you choose to come back, I will be super excited, but I'm going to make sure you you have that opportunity. And so that was um, his alma mater. And so I applied there and had four great years um, there. And that's how I ended up in education, because while I was there, I took a theology of social action class and you had to volunteer in the city. And I was teaching at the maximum security prison. They didn't have a school. Hmm. And so the only education was for students who came out and taught. And I fell in love with it. I was pre-med and ended up not. <laughs> that was a tough conversation saying, you know what, I'm not <laughs> not going to med school. I'm actually going to help develop a model education program at the prison. So, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention, Mary, I mean, we talk about teachers being underpaid. I mean, you're going from potential doctor, researcher, something like that to teacher. Mm-hmm. So that was a tough conversation. Um, but it was it was one of those choices you make that shapes the rest of the rest of your life. Um, you know, so I, I was there for a couple of years and then um, we moved to Chicago. We kind of our first few years when I was married, we kind of followed each other in education, you know, and so we were in Chicago and I worked in Cabrini Green there. Um, So I just had some really great experiences in terms of knowing what opportunity can mean in education um, for children and young adults. So, and I knew, at least if I remember correctly, you, you've also spent some time in Detroit. So what, what has been your, your career path, your, your living path, if you will, you know, from Georgetown until just a few years ago? So primarily different educational environments. So it literally was the maximum security prison to working in an alternative program in Cabrini Green and then spent time in Kentucky. So I also got to do some research and projects in kind of the eastern Kentucky region. And then we landed in Kansas City. And so um 
there it was great. I worked both as a teacher at Schlegel High School. I taught math, and then I worked in in the uh, school district, um, you know, in in curriculum and research and evaluation. And then I ended up in school a lot. Um, so did, that's kind of where my reflective time was because, you know, a lot of the work you're so busy reflecting on impact and where you're going. I ended up doing that through just continuing to go back to school. And uh, the time in Detroit was working with persistently failing schools. So the, the area of education I've always focused on is urban children and um, and helping make sure they achieve their full potential through you know, um, meeting them where they are and then accelerating back to and beyond grade level. So that's always been a focus. And, you know, obviously being here at Operation Breakthrough, you know, you, you can't even imagine the difference that it's so hard to catch kids up, you know, after they fall behind. But here we have this huge opportunity to ensure that kids start school ready. And that's a difference maker. You know, there's three big things that help ensure kids, you know, reading at third grade, which is that predictor for the future and its attendance school readiness and length and learning and we can do it all here yeah no it's it's a remarkable place but be, before we come to 2015 and operation breakthrough um what was it about the experience or your personality or whatever might have been that i mean working in the prisons working with you know under-resourced kids i mean what was it that early on that kind of drew you to to doing that I don't know. I just had a, you know how you, uh, I, I probably had a secret love for education. I, I had my own set of desks, you know, in li living in a rural community. When they close a school, they sell off all the mm -hmm. desks. So I had, remember the desks that were connected by the chain, you know, oh, connected oh, yeah. on a metal bar. I had my own set of three, which were actively used in the early days. But I think, I think I love the, what a difference maker education is. And it, all it took was, you know, I had probably three or four different educational volunteer projects when I was in college. You know, some we went into Sursum Corda, which was a housing development in, in Washington, D.C., where you went in and tutored in homes. And oh, I had three or four things that I was doing. And I just it was the feeling that you get when you you know, at first I was shocked because I just I there wasn't an awareness of how many individuals hadn't had the educational supports that I had had and, and what a difference. So I, it just became, you know, not only a motivator, but compelling to make sure that kids had access to what they needed. Um, and then it just kind of fell into place. I mean, there was so much need and so much opportunity to give back. This is J.R. Buckner, president and CEO of First Federal Bank of Kansas City. We hope you're enjoying this week's conversation. For this week's Student Spotlight, I'd like you to meet one of the students in our C10 Mentoring and Leadership Program. My name is Lisa Vogchanta, and I go to Wyandotte High School, and my favorite thing about C10 is doing the service projects. First Federal Bank of Kansas City is proud to make a donation this week to the Post High School Scholarship Fund for seniors in the C10 Mentoring and Leadership Program. If you'd like to join us in this effort to give our future leaders an opportunity after high school, please click on the link in the show's notes. Now back to this week's conversation. So 2015, you, you go to Operation Breakthrough as, I guess, initially as executive director, you're now president CEO, but, you know, this is, this nonprofit world is a crazy business. Uh, so obviously you're going to be helping kids at Operation Breakthrough, but, you know, how did you end up 
How did you end up there or why did you end up there? So when I was in Detroit, you know, my husband and I were commuting. So he was doing a nonprofit in Florida and I was in Detroit and we had decided we were only going to do it for a certain amount of time. And during that time, our kids, three of our four kids decided to land, stay in Kansas City. So we thought, you know what? let's head back. And just as I was trying to figure out, you know, do I become a superintendent or do I, um, cause I was, you know, working at that level in education or, and then the opportunity came up at operation breakthrough. My husband had actually reached out to, um, you know, I had hunting group as he was coming back and he just happened to have a little line at the end that said, yeah, my wife's going to be looking as well. She's in education. And they were like, well, we don't have anything for you, <laughs> but we do have something for her. So anyway, and they were in the search process and you know what, it's just been amazing because here you can do what education should look like. I mean, it's like here we can do what we know kids need to thrive um, without a lot, sometimes a lot of the politics that come with, you know, when you're in a, in more of a bureaucratic school system. For an organization that had been around, it has been around for so long since 1971. So about the time you joined them, they've been, you know, 44 years or whatever, and has done so much in this community. And I'm assuming that when you're at Schlegel and other schools here, you had at least aware of, of Operation Breakthrough. So when you, when you take over in, in 15, was it a matter of, hey, I just, I, we need to make some, some of these changes or was it, hey, let's just make sure after 44 years, let's make sure the wheels don't fall off and we'll just gradually implement some new things. Well, I think, you know, when you, when I came, you know, Sister Krita had retired and Sister Berta was still here. So that was awesome. The first you know, six months, she was still here while I was here. But I think, you know, if you look at the history of philanthropy, not just in Kansas City, but more broadly, you know, it used to be enough just to be serving families who were under-resourced, you know, or, or children in poverty. But but as times were changing, there was more emphasis on um, making sure that you could show outcomes for the dollars. So I think they were looking for um, how do we continue to, you know, the board was grappling with three big strategic issues. The first was how do we do what we do and do it better? How do we, do we do it more or do we do it longer? You know, because they were, you know, what's the strategy moving forward? And so, you know, we spent the first couple of years just looking at how do we make sure every child goes to school ready, which is huge. And, you know, because it's easy for people to get caught up in the barriers. Well, you know, we've got a lot going on outside of Operation Breakthrough. Maybe they can't be ready. And and just because your living circumstance doesn't mean you shouldn't still master all your developmental milestones. So that was our first focus is how do we, how do we, how do we help improve that? And then we started to look at, you know, we have a lot of kids that we're serving that we don't have space for once they go to kindergarten. So we were turning all these families away and so that's when we did the expansion across the street. And then um, and then the last one was the longer, which is, um, you know, bringing back high school. You know, they, they served high school in the early days, high schoolers, and that's a pivotal time. But as the money would get short, you know, the ages would go down. And then, you know, we, we've been able to build it up. So, so I think it was a little bit of both. You know, it was having someone that can continue on, you know, as the sisters retire, but also how do we, you know, um, add additional education. And I loved it because reading the book, Angels with Angles, the Rogue Nuns Behind Operation Breakthrough, you know, when you read those first couple chapters, when the sisters were running St. Vincent's, first they were teachers and then they ran it, 
I mean, their philosophies in terms of meeting kids where they are, building on their interests, um, you know, individualized learning that puts the student at the center. I mean, those are all the beliefs I have. So I feel like, you know, sometimes fate has a way of intervening because the, their education beliefs are very similar to what I aspire to. So I feel like we're carrying on the sisters um, in in the work we do today, even though they're not here every day. Well, the, the Ignition Lab is is one of the, the newest pieces and just a remarkable STEM lab that, uh, you know, we mentioned Travis Kelsey. He was obviously heavily involved with. But what's what's most exciting to you right now about what you guys are doing or what what might be happening in the next couple of years? I mean, is, what gets you going every day there? Well, the kids, obviously, because every day you're seeing kids that are you know, meeting some milestone. We just finished up before the end of summer, the capstones, where all of our high school students um, present a project that they've designed and completed based on the skills that they've learned in the ignition lab. So I, I just find that really inspirational because you're looking at opportunities for economic mobility outside of high school directly or just college. Um, you know, just having focus. So that I think is pretty amazing. You know, when when we start, we actually have a planning session tomorrow, you know, where we continue to look at where are we going to be in, in the next five years. And so um, the state just passed um, some legislation to try, try to increase the number of young children who are four, giving them access to preschool. And so obviously for us, we're we're pretty at capacity here. So one of the strategic initiatives we'll have to look at is Kansas City does have some deserts and is that something we need to be a part of moving forward so I, I think that's that's on my radar and then just continuing to make sure we're seeing a lot of um, developmental delays from the pandemic as kids you know a lot of the kids who were at home those several years didn't have a lot of those social socialization that you would expect when you're out and about in the community or in a program. And so, you know, obviously for us, it's making sure if there are any gaps for the kids we're serving, that we make sure that we help um, close them. You know, you, 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 when you mentioned the capstone project, um, you know, we, we had our senior night this week with our C10 students. We have seven seniors this year. And as you know, our seniors plan and lead service projects and, We've just implemented that in the last couple of years. I mean, we've done service projects since the beginning of C10, but as far as having the the seniors plan them and lead them, doing something that means is meaningful to them. And and we've done a couple with with you guys through our seniors, but it's just so rewarding, isn't it, to to see them plan something like that, to be able to lead it, to be able to execute it, and and just to learn as an adult to learn what is meaningful to them. And I'm sure it's the same for you with those capstone projects. Oh, absolutely. And I do remember some of the projects that, you know, last year, one of your seniors um, helped us with a project that we had started, but we didn't have enough hands. And I don't oh, remember it was yes. packing the hygiene pack. So, oh, mm -hmm. You know, that was, that was a great one. And uh, it is amazing to see, we sometimes forget how much capacity teens have to not only develop and design things, but also their desire to give back in the community. And I think we see that with with your program, um, see you in major leagues, and we see it with the teens that we have in the ignition lab. Well, and it's, you know, that that student that led that project 
with you guys last year. I mean, that was something she talked about that she said, I didn't realize that was a real need because she said, I, I personally had never experienced that. And so it meant a lot to her to be able to, to do that. Mm -hmm. So that was, that's cool. So at what point did you realize that you had the capacity, the ability to lead others? You know, it's funny. I think um, a lot of that gets cultivated when you're young. Mm -hmm. um, and because I had so many opportunities to lead as a student, um, I think it, it just becomes natural. And so, um, you know, and, and if you have that doer kind of attitude, people know, people know me for, you know, on my wall, I have um, Muhammad Ali saying impossible is nothing. So I'm a, I'm a competitive and I'm a driver. And I think those are part of being a leader. And, and in, in one of the graduate, the relay graduate training program for educational leaders, they always talk about, you know, finding the third way. And here we'll talk about, well, we're on, you know, we're on the 56th way, but we're going to find it. So I think those are just those, those attributes that you, you start to get to use more, the more opportunities you have in, in work. And then I think it just becomes natural. Um, and, and each job I've had, I think you, you add different leadership skills. And then I think you also realize that mentoring becomes a really important part of the leadership process. And so for me, it's when I started having others that I was working with that I started to see more of the role as it's not just accomplishing the goal. It's, it's, it's what are you doing with the people that you're working with that that's when that leadership, it becomes something you have to think about more. Mm -hmm. Well, one of our 10 C words, Mary, that I equate with you is commitment, which in the C in the major leagues vernacular is someone who has a strong work ethic is not easily distracted and prioritizes. Uh, what does that word commitment mean to you in leadership? I think it means you keep going even when it gets hard. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's the persistence piece and, and it's, it's grace, you know, um, it's the hardest to be committed. I think, you know, when, when things are the toughest and you just have to, you have to persevere. Um, and, uh, I think that's, that's what commitment is. It's seeing it through even, even when it gets hard and, and making sure that others um, are with you. Hmm. And finally, I asked you earlier about 17-year-old Mary. <laughs> if you could go back today, what would you tell her? I would tell her to um, probably to continue to, to take advantage of many, as many opportunities as you can. Don't get too tunnel-focused too early. Um, you know, I, I had said I wanted to be a doctor when I was, you know, seven or eight, you know, and, and that drove me. But, you know, I, I opened myself up finally when I was older that took me on a totally different path than I had originally thought. So, you know, I would say just keep that open mind and try as many things as you can because then you really figure out your interests and your passions. And we talk about that a lot in the Ignition Lab. Let's figure out what kids are passionate about that can help shape futures. And that's what I would want to say to me, which is what we're saying <laughs> to uh, the kids across the street right now. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, Mary, it is. It's been awesome talking to you today. It's it's such a blessing for us as C the major leagues and C10 to be able to to use your space. And we're just so thankful that uh, you guys see us as a as a community partner and to allow us to to use it. Even though some nights we might go beyond our eight thirty end time, but uh, we're just we're incredibly thankful for you guys. Oh, no, we we love having you. And I love the fact that we've gotten to partner on a few things because um, I think it makes a difference, a really good one. Well, and, you know, we, we have only three seniors next year. And so, you know, we're going to be planning more service projects internally. So I've already told Kramer, our C-10 coordinator, I said, you know what, we need to get in touch with Mary and the folks over at Operation Breakthrough because we need to do a couple more projects that even if our students don't do it, we need to lead them. So, Well, I'm you know we have a... Well, you know we have a long list. <laughs> and we're going to do all we can to uh, to help you guys with that. So, well, Mary, thank you so much for that. Thank you for your time today. And just thank you for all that you're doing for kids here in our community. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, that does it for this episode of the C10 Mentoring and Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, we hope that you'll leave a favorable review on your favorite podcast platform. If you didn't enjoy it or you have other comments or suggestions for potential guests, you can click on the comment link in the show's notes. We drop a new episode at the end of every week, but be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an interview. And if you or your company would like to help underwrite this podcast, let me know. Until next time, this is Matt Folks for the CU and Major Leagues Foundation saying be safe and take care.